Have you ever been in the presence of someone great, like someone really famous? I think most people like to be in the presence of greatness, celebrities or royalty. When we were in England recently with Will and Elise, we ended up going to the War Museum in in uh, London, and when we got to the War Museum, it was all cordoned off, and we couldn't get in. They were obviously waiting for somebody, so I, we, I said to one of the guards there, uh, what's going on? He said, oh, we're, we're waiting for a special guest, a dignitary. I said, oh, that's us. We're from Canada. <laughs> so we had a good laugh, and, and uh, we hung around, waited, 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 and finally this Land Rover pulls up, and out gets Kate Middleton. And so there we were, just a few feet away from Kate Middleton, and all our cameras are going like this. We, we all love that kind of thing, don't we? We love to be around greatness. It may be royalty or celebrities or rock stars or, or sports heroes or, or famous people. I think it's because when we're in the presence of greatness or people who have achieved some type of notoriety or fame, it actually makes us feel a little greater ourselves. And so, would you let me indulge you this morning for a few minutes about my personal hall of famous people? Here's my first picture. That's Franklin Graham, Franklin Graham's son of Billy Graham and founder of Samaritan's Purse. And that's me on the left. The next one is Milt Stiegel, Winnipeg Blue Bombers' most famous and beloved football player. And that's me on the left of Milt. (laughs) Here I am with the Honorable Andrew Micklefield, MLA. And again, I'm, I'm the guy on the left. And then this one, this is the famous Buzz Lightyear and Woody of Toy Story fame. I'm in the middle. And if you look really closely, Buzz Lightyear looks a lot like Pastor Norm Zaslav. Here I am with Princess Leia of Star Wars. And now, my most famous picture, my absolute favorite my greatest picture in the Hall of Fame, my grandson Jack. Kidding aside, today I want to talk about being and living in the presence of the greatest greatness. We're in a series here on worship, and today we're going to talk about the goal and the privilege of worship, which is carrying the presence of God. Our eldest daughter, Rebecca, when she was four years old, we were around the dinner table one evening and suddenly the doorbell went, ding dong, and Rebecca went, it's the Lord. Mary and I looked at each other and smiled and we said, Rebecca, I think it's actually Uncle Davy. The doorbell went again, ding dong. She was so earnest, so sincere. It's the Lord. She jumped down off her chair. She ran to the door. We could hear her fumbling, opening the door. And she opened the door. And then we heard this little voice say, Oh, no, it's only Uncle Davy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that little girl had an expectation of God's 
presence. She had an expectation that God would visit us. And that's actually a biblical expectation. Why? Because God himself wants to manifest his presence among his people. God wants to show up. And God's manifest presence is such a rare occasion these days. We think God isn't interested. And that's not true. God is earnest. He's eager. In fact, Jesus, when he had his last supper with his disciples, he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. God is incredibly earnest to show up and manifest his presence among us. And when God shows up, everything changes. The atmosphere changes. The climate changes. The situation changes. Religion changes. Boredom changes. Hope changes. Help changes. All our human options change when God shows up. I believed in God since I was a little boy. I believed he existed, but it wasn't until he showed up when I was 19 years old. My whole life changed. And maybe today, if you are here this morning or you're listening on the internet, and there's never been a moment in your life where God has manifested his presence and showed up, Maybe today is your day, and everything changes from that point. The title of my message this morning is Carriers of God's Presence. And I I want to try and answer three questions this morning. The first one is, what exactly is the presence of God? The second question is, why should we covet God's presence? Why is it so important? And thirdly, how do we get more? Of God's presence. So if you would turn in your Bibles, please, to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, and my helper, Victor Oroso, Victor's going to come and he's going to pray for us. We're only going to look at at one verse. We'll reference a lot of scriptures today, but we're just going to look at one verse, and uh, Victor's going to come and pray for us. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to just be in your presence, Lord. We ask, Lord, that this word is being spoken and that it's going to be your word, Lord, and it will minister into our hearts, Lord, that it will be seeds upon the good soil of our heart, Lord, and you will just touch us where we are, Lord, and lead us throughout our lives, Lord. We just ask that this word will be a stepping stone for words to come and for the days to come, Lord, and that your presence will just lead us forward and onward, Lord. Amen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Victor. Okay, Genesis 3. In one verse, verse 8. So the background to this is that God created Adam and Eve. Beautiful story. And they're in paradise. It's perfect. They're perfect. There's no sin in their lives. They're innocent. But the serpent, the devil, comes and tempts them. And they end up falling into temptation. In verse 8 begins... And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence 
of the Lord. If you've if you got a Bible, you might want to just underline that little phrase, the presence of the Lord. That's the very first time that occurs in Scripture. And there's a, a, an, an interpretation, a principle of interpreting Scripture called the law of first mention, where a, a word or a concept, the very first time it's used in the Bible, sets precedent for how that word or concept occurs throughout Scripture. And so this is the very first time this little phrase, the presence of God, is mentioned in Scripture. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees, but the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? They heard the sound of the Lord God. This word, Lord God, we've actually talked about this before here. This is, first of all, the Lord, the the proper name of God. It's Yahweh. I am who I am. I am that I am. And this word, God, is the Hebrew word Elohim. And it means the mighty one. This is who we're talking about. And they heard the sound of him walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That word cool is the Hebrew word ruach. And we've heard that word before too. That, that word means breath or wind or it's used of spirit earlier on in the book of Genesis. And they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. This word presence means face. In fact, Moses uses the word Face a few uh, books later in number 624 where he's talking about the Aaronic breath blessing, the, the blessing of Aaron. And he says, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face, that's the same word, make his presence shine upon you. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about God turning towards us, his presence And there are a number of characteristics that occur in this very first mention of the word presence. The first one is God's presence is tangible. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. Adam and Eve could sense God's presence. They could could hear it. They could feel it. They were experiencing God's presence. We call this the immediacy of God. The immediacy of God. In fact, one of the names, one of God's names is Yahweh Shammah, meaning I'm here. I am present. The God who is present. God's not far away. Religion replaces God's presence. But God has always purposed that His people would be a people of his presence, his tangible presence. Am I doing something wrong with this? Okay, should I use that one? Okay. That's annoying, isn't it? For you. Because some of you are thinking, I wish he'd shut that off. I wish he'd turn that off. Anyway, we'll, we'll trust we'll get through it here. A, a number of years ago, a group of pastors from our city uh, flew down to Argentina 
to the revival there. And what was happening in Argentina was the presence of God was manifest in incredible ways. There were churches of 90,000 and 100,000. In fact, the church we went to visit was called Waves of Love and Peace. It was about 90,000 people, and they had services 22 hours a day, seven days a week. They only closed the building two hours every day to clean it. And every day for 22 hours, they would have service after service after service, and people flocked to it. Do you know why people flocked to it? It's the presence of God. People just love the presence of God. And so we visited this place. And as soon as you walked in, you could feel the presence of God. It was tangible. Our senses could pick it up. And you know what we felt? Waves of love and peace. That's why they called it Waves of Love and Peace Church. So we had a wonderful time there. And after we were finished, we we all went back to our bus. And one of our pastors was missing. So we went back into the sanctuary looking for him. We couldn't find him anywhere. He was up in the balcony, sprawled out on a chair, just enjoying the tangible presence of God, ministering to him waves of love and peace. Secondly, the second characteristic of God's presence is that it's God-initiated, God-desired. Verse 8 says, The Lord God came Walking, It was God who took the initiative to come and see Adam and Eve. And it was the man and his wife, the scripture says here, who hid themselves behind the trees. God came looking for man for communion, for fellowship, for intimacy, enjoyment. And it was man who was hiding himself from God. What a wonder. The God of the universe desires to meet with you. Thirdly, God's presence is not constant, but possible and regular. Verse 8 says that he would come in the cool of the day. It It was like there was a certain time he would come. God is omnipresent. That's one of his attributes. He's everywhere, all the time, constant. But that's not what this is talking about. We're talking about here God's manifest presence. When God is immediate, He is present presence. He shows up in a profound and powerful way. You know, sometimes we're in worship and we're just singing songs and then there'll be a moment where God's presence comes. How many of you have experienced that? It's a moment. And you you feel it. Suddenly the room gets really quiet. Even the kids who are running around and making noise. It's like a stillness comes on. That's the presence of God. Sometimes the presence of God will, will, uh, will move on us and there will be weeping or laughing. Or healings will break out. Or deliverance will happen. One time many years ago... In our very first building, Dave and Velmo probably remember this, our very first building, we, we had a service and we, we were meeting uh, and we sang our songs and whatever. And then at one point, I invited the Holy Spirit to come. I welcomed the presence of God to come into the meeting. And it was very still. And then suddenly, 
This guy goes, Wah! and he falls out of his seat, and he's on the floor, and a demon had manifest because they cannot stand the presence of God. And we were, I was shocked. What do we do? Anyhow, a few people laid hands on this guy, prayed for him, and he got set free. But there was somebody else in the meeting that day who was only used to an Anglican service. And they froze like this. And he grabbed his wife's hand. He said, let's get out of here. But they couldn't go because there was too many things happening. Anyhow, they ended up leaving and the service ended. They never came back for six months. They were so freaked out. But they did end up coming back. In fact, I just saw them this morning at the Panic Congregation. But when the presence of God shows up, things happen. When uh, we visited an outpouring in Florida a few years ago, and I remember walking into the tent. I was looking forward to everything. I was in a happy Mood. I walked into the tent kind of wondering what was going to happen. I sat down in the chair and the presence of God came and I immediately started weeping. I thought, why am I weeping? I was just melting in the presence of God. You know, we go through things. We go through things in life. We go through things daily. We pick up things. We carry things. There's things that happen to us. When we get in the presence of God, he's so profound and powerful, he starts to peel the onion away. It's wonderful. And his presence is so healing. It's so restoring. Well, the last characteristic we see here about the presence of God is that man was made for God's manifest presence. Not only was God's presence or his face possible, but it seems like it was normal. It was a regular thing that happened with Adam and Eve. He would come in the cool of the day. Man was made to dwell with God. And God wants to dwell with with man. Every human being is created with this capacity for God. Someone has called it eternity in our hearts. We're made for Him. And we're made to commune with Him. We're made to have this rich, profound relationship with Him, which is, which is what the Hearing God Seminar is all about. It's all about bringing us into an intimacy with God's presence and God's Word and God's Spirit. But Genesis tells us something went wrong. Something got ruined. Man sinned, it separated from God, and he ended up hiding from God. And that's still prevalent today. We hide from who he is. Philip Yancey has given the picture, Philip Yancey is a Christian author, he's given the picture of fish in a fish tank. And if you've ever had fish, you know you can feed the fish and, and you can admire the fish, whatever, but if you ever come near the fish, They're terrified of you. And sometimes that's the way it is with God. We're terrified of him, even though he's so gracious and kind and powerful and wants to be present with us. Well, 
In Genesis, fear replaced friendship. Independence replaced intimacy. And rebellion replaced reverence. But Genesis 3 ends with hope of a great victorious Redeemer coming and restoring God's presence back to us and us back to God's presence. Well, the Bible goes on and in Exodus 13, it talks about God's presence being manifest in a pillar of cloud and fire. In Exodus 13, 21 and 22, the Lord went before his people, which was between one and two million people coming out of Egypt, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before God's people. God wants to dwell among his people. And Moses and the children of Israel leave Egypt with the presence of God as this incredible pillar of cloud. It wasn't just a cloud, it was a pillar of cloud by day. And then this incredible pillar of fire by night. Can you imagine what that was like? How many have seen the northern lights? In fact, we're supposed to have an episode this week. They're spectacular. Greens and yellows and reds and bluish and white. And you see these things dancing across the sky. They're they're spectacular. But I don't think they hold a candle to the pillar of fire. Can you imagine that? It had to light the way for one to two million people. It had to be very tall. Maybe it was 100 feet, 200 feet tall. And this swirling mass of fire, you can imagine the wind it created and the sound. It led them, it guided them, it protected them, it covered them, and it reminded them, God is with us and wants to dwell among us. The Bible goes on in Exodus 33 and talks about the tent of meeting. Everyone who sought the Lord, verse 7 says, would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Did you realize Moses set up a tent? This is before the tabernacle. Moses set up a tent called the tent of meeting. And it was just for God to meet with Anybody who wanted to meet with him. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't just the priests. It wasn't just the Levites. Anybody. Because God wants to dwell among his people. And then in Exodus 25, the Bible goes on and talks about the Ark of the Covenant. God gave precise measurements and description for actually building this tabernacle called the Tabernacle of Moses, which had an outer court, a holy place, and a holy of holies. And inside the holy place was a box, four feet by two feet by two feet, and it was covered with gold, and that box was called the Ark of the Covenant, and it was the presence of God. God would come in His powerful presence and rest on the mercy seat, which was on the top of that box, between the two cherubim, whose wings were touching, 
And his presence was powerful. His powerful presence in the ark parted the Jordan River. It brought down the walls of Jericho. It defeated Israel's enemies, toppled foreign gods. It judged irreverent servants like Uzzah. Uzzah just went to straighten it. Boom! He died because the presence of God was so holy. It inspired King David to have 24-7 worship and praise. And it filled Solomon's temple with glory. Second Chronicles 7 verse 1 says, Fire came down and the glory of the Lord filled the temple so the priests couldn't even enter. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if God's glory and presence so filled this place I could not stand up to preach. David could not stand up to teach. Aaron could not stand up to say anything. And Kevin could not stand up to give the announcements. He's saying, well, then we couldn't have church. No, this is what church has devolved to. But when God's presence comes, I'll tell you one thing. These chairs would be full in the front row. In fact, this place would be absolutely packed. There would be people all down those corridors. There would be people all through there. We would have to buy more chairs. We would have to put chairs in there. They would be out in the foyer and they would be lined up down the street because we're made for his presence. And whenever his presence manifests, things happen. People are healed. People are restored. People are changed. People are broken in a good way. People are healed in a good way. Nothing's impossible. Things multiply. Miraculous things take place. Signs take place. People are left in wonder. The Bible goes on and tells us in Exodus 33, Moses is interceding for the people. And in verse 14 and 15, the scripture says, And God is speaking, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't bring me up from here. How shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct? I and your people from all the peoples on the earth. The defining characteristic of the people of God, of the church of Jesus Christ, is not moral standards. Moral standards are important. It's not the defining characteristic. And it's not social justice. It's not good deeds. Those are very important. But that does not define the church of Jesus Christ. It's not music. It's not, it's not prayer. It's not church attendance. It's not even love. The defining characteristic of God's people is his presence. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't take us anywhere. 
Well, God wants to dwell among us. But Moses' tabernacle and David's tabernacle and Solomon's temple were all shadows of the things to come, Hebrews 9 says. The substance was manifest when Jesus Christ arrived on the scene. Isaiah prophesied, and his prophecy is fulfilled in Matthew 1.23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is passionate about dwelling among his people. God in the flesh, manifesting God's power and glory, fully restoring the presence of God, revealing not just the presence of God, but what a carrier of his presence looks like. Jesus changed the atmosphere everywhere he went, and he changed people's options wherever he went. At the Pool of Siloam, there was, the only option this guy had was either get himself down to the pool to be healed or help, get someone else to help him into the pool. But when Jesus showed up, all his options changed. And he was healed instantly. That's the presence of God. Three and a half years, Jesus walked and taught. In Israel, he healed. He brought salvation He delivered, he set people free, he did signs, wonders, miracles, he multiplied things, he changed things, he created things, he he ruled the weather. Everywhere he went, and he brought God's heart, his compassion, his kindness, his love, his joy. Jesus was the ultimate carrier of the presence of God. But he was only one man in one place at one time, and then he was crucified on a cross. But in his death and resurrection, he removed every hindrance to God's presence. And he released unlimited capacity for the manifestation of God. You know, it's not God who's holding himself back from us. You know that. We're the determining factor. Fifty days after Jesus was crucified on the cross, or, or, or after he was resurrected, he ascended into heaven where he poured out his Holy Spirit. John 3 says, without measure. Why do you turn to a neighbor and say, without measure? measure. What does that mean? Without measure. Infinite. Any other definition? Abundant. No limit. Okay, forever. Overflowing. If Jesus ever poured you a cup of tea, you'd be in trouble. Because he doesn't know when to stop. The tea would overflow the cup 
overflow the saucer. It would just pour out onto the floor and it would just keep pouring like a fountain. That's what it means without measure. No limit. Super, super abundance. No end. Without any kind of limitation. We have the Holy Spirit. Isn't that fantastic? And you can learn all about that in the Hearing God seminar starting April 9th. In Acts 2 and 2, the Holy Spirit's poured out in a mighty rushing wind and tongues like fire landed on four or five of the disciples and they used to, those four or five spoke in other tongues. Would you like to be one of those four or five? That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Nobody was left out. They all manifested the Spirit. They all manifested that presence of God upon them and within them. God no longer dwells in a tent or a box or a temple made of stone. He dwells in you. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That means you personally, individually. You are the temple of God now. And God longs to dwell among you and in you. And then the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 3, That God actually dwells among us corporately. Do you not know that you, plural, are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? When we come together like this, we form another temple. And God longs to dwell among us in this temple. That's why gathering together is so important, it's not an option. We're we're never supposed to forsake being together because there's something powerful when we come together as God's holy temple. Now you are a carrier of his presence. We together are a carrier of his presence. We're the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12 says. But God is not only in us, God is also upon us. And it's the upon us that is the manifest presence of God. Yes, God is in us. He's communing with us. He's sanctifying us. But when the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit comes upon us, that's the manifest presence of God. And that's what enables us to be carriers of his presence. We see this in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42 and 47. There was a church, the manifest presence of God was upon. And the first thing we see is they were incredibly devoted. They couldn't stay away from being together. Why? Because God's presence was among them. The Bible says they were in awe. 
They were in reverence. They were in the fear of the Lord. And they were amazed at the things God was doing. They couldn't wait to get together with the rest of the church to see what God would do. There were wonders and miracles happening. Healings and deliverances and salvations were taking place. There was generosity and joy. The spirit of greed was broken. People were giving away things to others who had need and there was great joy in the presence of God. And if you've ever been in an awakening or a revival setting, you know one of the things that manifests first is joy. It's just joy. You walk in and the atmosphere is different. It's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. God's Spirit is not only in us, but upon us. Someone has said God is in us by covenant, but He's upon us by invitation. He's in me for my sake, but He's upon me for your sake. Jesus in Luke 4 said of Himself, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me. Two, that's the manifest presence of God. Preach the gospel. Heal the sick. Bind up the brokenhearted. So I think I've answered the first two questions. What is the presence of God? It's God manifesting himself in a tangibly, miraculously, and transformational way in our midst. And why should we covet it? Because God desires to dwell among us. Because it's the distinguishing characteristic of his people. And we are satisfied and transformed by his presence like nothing else in the universe. So the last question is, how do we grow as carriers of God's presence? And I'm going to let you answer this. What I'd like you to do now is get in groups of three, two or three, and I'd like you to answer this question. How do we grow as a carrier of God's manifest presence? Or where can you carry God's presence this week? Where can you carry God's presence this week? Who is there in your life? What's in your life that you can actually bring God's presence to? And how can each of us grow in His manifest presence being upon our lives? Okay, I'm going to give you five minutes to talk that through. On your mark, get set, go. If you don't have a clue, then you can just sit there and rest. I am going to give you some answers before we go. Okay, spend time in God's presence. I I think that's actually a very profound answer. That was my very first pick. It takes time. Time in His presence. Maybe reading His Word or praying or listening, but it takes time. We will not cultivate that manifest presence of God in a profound way by rushing Ignoring, it just won't happen. It takes time. Time in His presence. James 4 says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you, God says. It's an absolute promise. So great. Great first pick. Anyone else? Yes. Practice. Okay, good. Just, just 
practicing and reoccurring habit, building habits. That's a great way. And being still in our practice, stillness is, I, I think, one of the things that allows God to come to us. Okay, another one. Yeah, being committed to being together because there's something special. There's no, none of us could ever duplicate what we have here today. We just can't do it. Even though we're a temple, we cannot be a temple like this because everybody brings a deposit. So there's something unique that happens. And when we come together and our hearts are actually turned towards him, then something very profound begins to happen. Great. Anyone else? Phil. Okay, what do you mean? Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. See, that's being a carrier of God's presence. God's presence is upon us for mission. It's upon us. that That's what Acts 1.8 says. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. That means He'll take you over that you might be my witnesses. And I think that's a, that's a brilliant example because not only do we experience God's presence, we can be carriers of his presence in our home, on the street, wherever we go. We can change the atmosphere. If you grumble and complain and you're negative and you talk bad about people and whatever, you're not bringing God's presence into a place. But when we begin to talk in an edifying way and uplift him and our hearts are full of him, then we totally change the atmosphere. Great, great point. One more. Leith. Okay, being obedient to what he says, because when we obey what he says, something usually happens <laughs> significantly. Great. Let me give you the two other things that I had for how we grow as carriers of God's presence. First one was spending time. That's, that's an obvious one. And by the way, we have every Wednesday from Tuesday midnight to Wednesday midnight, we have 24 hours of prayer. And there have been numbers of you from the South Congregation who have participated in it. It's been wonderful. We're at the Kalsbeck building. Uh, and I trust we're going to be there till April. They haven't sold it yet. So we'll, we'll, we're going to uh, make like we're we're there. I phoned the guy to check it out. He hasn't gotten back to me, so uh, we'll, we'll be there this Wednesday. But, but you can come and just spend time in his presence. And that's one of the ways we cultivate it. Number two, Holy Spirit take over. Invite the Holy Spirit to take you over every day. Before you get out of bed in the morning, you wake up, Holy Spirit, would you take me over today? That's a beautiful prayer and will be honored by God. And then thirdly, can anybody think of a third way that we can really grow in the presence of God? 
You're such a smart congregation. What is it? <laughs> it's giving thanks. Giving thanks. Psalm 95 says, enter his presence with thanksgiving. I want to commend this to you because I think thanksgiving is one of the most powerful tools we have to become healthy and to grow in the presence of God. And if you cultivate that habit, I guarantee you will grow in his presence. You will grow in being a carrier of his presence. You will become a different person. 